get back to Romans 8. And um, you might recall, at least I would love to think that you do, um, that last week I introduced to you um, not a new word and perhaps not even a new um, doctrine, but one that is at least um, somewhat uh, neglected by the evangelical world. It's a, it's a very wonderful word. It's the word adoption. And I said to you last week, it only appears five times in the New Testament, but it has found its way, and you might recall, into the Ordo Salutis, which I put up there last week, and um, saying to you last week that um, people seem to know a good deal about the order of salvation, but they never seem to know very much about adoption. So I thought it might be important for us to take, in fact, I was going to try to do it all last week, and we never got it in. So what I want to do with you is just, um, is just present to you this, this doctrine called adoption. Um, it is a very prized um, piece of uh, biblical truth because of what it conveys and what it suggests. And that's what I want to try and, and um, place before you tonight. The suggestions that are wrapped up in this, con- in this doctrine of adoption. Uh, he mentions it. Uh, of course, in our text, it is, um, uh, we're in verses 14 and 15. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. And I, I tried to mention last week that this whole idea of sonship, which is very popular in the 21st century, was very foreign to the 1st century. It was not something that Judaism was very comfortable with. The whole idea of calling God Father was not something that they, they had any um, knowledge of. So to think that I am a son uh, is something that is um, quite foreign to, uh, to Jewish ears. And so, but Paul is introducing these things with, that are packed with some very precious information, which I want to try to share some of it with you tonight. Paul is, is, is using a term that he has borrowed from Roman law and from Roman custom. This is not a Hebrew idea. It's not even a Greek idea. It's a Roman idea, the idea of adoption. It, is, it was woven into the fabric of the Roman culture. It was a, it was a part of the, Judy, uh, of the legal system in Rome and in the Roman Empire. Um, but the, the, the custom, though frequently uh, observed, is one that he takes and uses and brings into the, to the, uh, his whole presentation of the gospel. Guys, um, adoption in Rome some, went something like this. It was normally a man without an heir, uh, a, man, a wealthy man normally uh, without an heir, who decides that to provide himself an heir, he would go and adopt a male. And we talked about that last week, the whole idea of it uh, at least being confined in this image. To that, to maleness. You didn't, you didn't adopt females, but you adopted males. So Paul is borrowing that legal custom from the Roman system and imports it into the New Testament to present to you uh, the provisions of God that's made for us uh, in the gospel. Now, so what I want to do is try to show you the similarities or some of the similarities of, an, an, of a legal adoption. Um, and then some of the dissimilarities of, of an adoption, guys. There were, um, 
there were some uh, dissimilarities that we want to talk about in a minute. But first of all, guys, um, there, there are some ideas that Paul would have you think about when you think about this term adoption. First of all, um, adoption is the result of God's uh, voluntary decision. That is, the father did not have to go adopt. He decided to go adopt uh, in the Roman culture. I mean, understand, he's using this as an analogy. Well, in, a, in, in Rome, the whole idea of adoption is not something that was duty. It was the result of a, of a voluntary decision on the part of a, uh, of a man. Well, it's also the, the result of the voluntary decision on the, on the part of God himself. Um, a second um, characteristic of adoption was that it was a legal um, um, exchange. Um, everything that the, if adoption took place, then all of the debts on the part of the heir became the father's. All of the debt, all of the legal response, all the liabilities that were once the the adopted sons, now is transferred uh, to the father because this was a legal exchange, a legal transaction. Um, the third thing that I would have you to note is that this whole idea of adoption was permanent. Um, now, gang, um, I, I want to spend a, a, a couple of minutes on the permanency of um, um, of adoption because um, at times it doesn't feel real permanent. If you would with me, go to, um, is it, it's Hebrews 12. He, go to Hebrews 12 with me, and I, and I want to show you something. Um, that wasn't me. Um, because the, the whole idea of disciplining sons is in front of us in... Um, in, in Hebrews chapter 12, it begins in verse 5, uh, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons, as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, and on and on it goes. The, the point that I'm making, guys, is in the midst of chastening, sonship becomes questionable. That is, we begin to question our sonship in the midst of chastening. But I want you to note that this chastening that is mentioned, that is a famous passage... The chastening is only designed for the sons. But in the midst of chastening, it is still permanent. In the midst of variations in terms of my sensing it. That is, um, in, in relationship to your own father, sometimes you feel closer to that father than you do at others. Sometimes there has been things that have um, uh, created a certain distance between you and your father. But, but even in the midst of chastening, when I don't feel like I'm um, a son, the adoption is still permanent. And in the midst of the variations in the, um, um, in, in the, in the enjoyment of the relationship, even while I'm being disciplined, even while I'm being chastened, even while I have committed Numerous offenses. The relationship is still permanent. In the midst of my offenses that, that make me wonder whether I'm really somebody that's real. In the midst of chastening that makes me wonder whether God really does love me. In the midst of a, of a certain distance. In, a, in the midst of experiencing a certain distance in my relationship um, to my father. 
the adoption is nonetheless permanent. Um, adoption, ladies and gentlemen, is not... You could not ever turn the kid back in. No matter what he did. And, and, and that's, um, that's part of the thing that Paul would have you know when understanding the idea of adoption. I mean, the sons can really disappoint the father, can they not? Yeah. And the sons can question even whether the father loves them in the midst of horrible chastenings and disciplines. And yet, and even when there's times of, um, uh, you know, I, I think you experience this. I, I think it's a, kind of a normal Christian experience. You know, the soul is is healthier at times than it is at others. Well, even in the midst of its non-healthy days, and even in the midst of chastenings, even in the midst of my own offenses and failings and inconsistencies, it does not threaten the permanence of the institution of adoption. He can't give me back and won't give me back. And that's, uh, th- that should be one of the, um, the delights of understanding this whole sense of, uh, of adoption. Now, um, uh, fourthly, guys, the, the wor- this, this doctrine of adoption is referring to, a gra- to the grace of God not, not in us, but on us. Um, we're going to talk about this work of grace in us in just a minute. But, guys, adoption is not talking about a work that God has done in you. It is, it is a work of God that he has done on your behalf. Um, there, is a, there is a distinction to be made, ladies and gentlemen, because the work of God in us is, is not adoption. It's called something else, and we'll get that in just a second. But this is a work of God on us by which he takes us um, out of one family and, and transfers us into another family. He takes uh, those who are by nature children of wrath, and he places them into a new family, this family of God. And the whole idea of being in that family, ladies and gentlemen, was, was oh so stunning to a Jew. Um, thinking that I was now a son of God. I want to show you something in, in this regard. If you'll turn with me to um, John chapter 21. Or actually, it's 20, I think. John 20. I want to, I want to show you something that Jesus said. In John chapter 20. This is after the resurrection. Um, and he's making appearances after the resurrection. And this, this particular appearance is before Mary. John 20, verse 16. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say, teacher. Now look at verse 17. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father, but I go to my brothers, my brethren, uh, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father. I am ascending to my God and your God. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, that is what is in view when we talk about adoption, that this, this God has, has become our father. And Jesus says, I'm going to my father and your father. Um, and that, that notion of being in the family of God was something that was completely um, 
stunning to the ears of, of an Orthodox Jew. And that's what adoption has in view. That is, that God has become my father. Uh, now, th- those are all similarities in what Paul would have you understand concerning the similarities of a Roman adoption and what is supposed to communicate to us. That is a, it is an act of God's... Oh, there, there's one other thing that I wanted to mention. That is, the fact that I am in this family brings with it certain honor and duty. Um, I, I, have, I have received another name. I have another father, ladies and gentlemen. I have uh, the promise of paternal protection. I, I have access to... You know, there's a story about uh, Abraham Lincoln that to, uh, in the midst of the war, there was one person that had immediate access to, to Abraham Lincoln. It was his son, Timmy. Um, and, and it didn't matter what kind of meetings were going on, his son had access to the father. Well, guys, there is, there is honor and there is duty conveyed in the whole idea of adoption. And the duty, tell me this, um, if you are a son um, who has become an heir of a wealthy father because of his voluntary decision uh, to adopt you into his family, what would you think? Would you think your sense of duty would increase or decrease? Here I am sitting in some orphanage someplace, and, and all of a sudden this, it's kind of like uh, uh, Daddy Starbucks, you know, uh, or Warbucks. Um, Daddy Warbucks, who comes in and, and sweeps me out of the orphanage, and it's like, holy moly, I went from this family where I was by nature a child of wrath, and now I've all of a sudden uh, come along um, into this brand new family and the, all the privileges and the honor and, the, and the, uh, the dignity of being a part of that family. Tell me, would your sense of duty rise or fall? You know, the, the point is, guys, in terms of our response to adoption, our sense of reverence, our sense of determination to perform a familial duty ought to be our abject delight. Why? I get to perform duty for him. That one. That one who sought me out and voluntarily decided to come take me out of this family and put me in the other one. You know, back in the World Series, and, and I don't know exactly what was going on here, but I remember when Pedro Martinez was pitching in, in New York. You know, the, the Yankees hate Pedro Martinez. And if he doesn't cut his hair, I'm not going to ever look at him again. But, um, but Pedro Martinez is right at a pitcher for the um, um, for the Boston Red Sox, and you might remember the uh, the uh, the fight that they had last year between him and Zimmer, uh, the the uh, the coach of the Yankees. Well, then he comes back and and this you know they're down three games and and they win four games and I think it was Game Six that he won in, in New York. But the big thing in the stands was, and I'm not sure I understand exactly what's being conveyed here, but it was, who's your daddy? Now. There's something, there's something that might be really ugly about that. I mean, it, there might be the suggestion that there's a bit of uh, um, inappropriate uh, goings-on. I, I don't, I, but with that aside, I say to you, who's your daddy? It's this daddy. And our, our sense of obligation and duty to that daddy ought to be far higher um, you know, um, in terms of some of the honor, the, the whole idea of parental protection. I remember uh, when we left Ocala, Florida, it was 
um, it was a hard time for us, ladies and gentlemen, uh, at least for me and Susie. Um, our kids were, um, were kind of young. I forget. Gracie was in the fifth grade, uh, fourth grade. Gracie was in the fourth grade. And, um, you know, we were, we were headed, oh, we'd been in that, they'd all been born in Ocala and, and, um, they, they, they considered Ocala their home. And I really thought I was going to spend the rest of my life in Ocala. I really did. And, and, um, so we, we meet with these friends at a, at a Hardee's to have a little breakfast before we head out on the road and head to Memphis. And, you know, we got this big old brown van and the kids are in the back. We got all our, you know, let me just diverge for a moment. We had a home that we owned in Florida and we left it. It wasn't on the market, and it wasn't rented. We just left it. <laughs> and it got rented. I, you know, God was so kind to us idiots. But anyway, anyway so we're leaving, and, and uh, you know, the, the girls are thinking this is quite an adventure. And so the point is, when, once they became adults, we look back on this, and we think, holy moly, these girls didn't get, they, they didn't get hurt by that at all. I mean, Susie and I were limping like crazy, but at least I was. And, uh, but the girls didn't get hurt by this real rupture in our lives at all. And I remember Gracie saying something. She said, and I you know, guys, I hope, you will understand why I'm sharing it, why I tell you this. But I remember Gracie, this was as a married woman, she said, you know, we, we'll, we'll, we'll go back and we'll review all of the facts of leaving Ocala. And I remember Gracie saying when she said, well, you know, it didn't bother me very much. I just figured daddy's in control. We're all going to be fine. Daddy's in control. We're all going to be fine. It never crossed her mind to be afraid. It never crossed her mind to be uh, concerned because daddy's in charge and we're all going to be fine. You remember saying that? My daddy's in charge. We're all going to be fine. Well, who's your daddy? Who's your daddy? You know, I remember as a kid, we used to, there were four boys in our neighborhood. It was Johnny Stringer and Gary Guy and Tommy Bell and me. And um, we used to play Army. You know, I still, when when they have a, a uh, Army flick on and they close it with the national anthem, stand to an attention, you know, and, um, but, I mean, we'd get out there and we'd make all the gun sounds. And, I got you. Oh, no, you didn't. You didn't. And, uh, but I remember at the end of the, the game, we would all sit down and we'd, from time to time, get in arguments as to, you know, um, who won this thing. And, and, and then we would break into something ugly and, and somebody would say, well, my daddy can beat your daddy up. And the other guy would say, well, my daddy was in the Air Force. I mean, my daddy, my daddy fought in the war. He can beat your daddy up. Well, no, my daddy was a, was the tank driver. I mean, he could blow your daddy up, you know. And it was on and on. My daddy's bigger than your daddy. My daddy, my daddy. Well, tell me this. Who's your daddy? What is the sense of duty that swells in the heart of the people of God when you're reminded who your daddy is? That's what adoption is, is trying to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, that God voluntarily, without any obligation, he wasn't, he wasn't, um, he wasn't, uh, it wasn't duty that led him. But he decided to take you out of one family where, by nature, you were a child of wrath and place you in his. <laughs> How about that? And look what you've got now. This grand and glorious inheritance. Tell me, what is the sense of duty that you have? That sense of duty, ladies and gentlemen, ought to be much higher. Darling, I left my watch over there, and these people won't want to listen to me all night. Um, Okay, let me do one other thing, and, and then I'll quit. i got uh, 11 minutes. Um, in terms of, what's this? I don't know how to do this. Um, yeah. Um, I, those are similarities in terms of the Roman um, institution of adoption. I do want to mention one dissimilarity. 
Um, those are all things, ladies and gentlemen, that are packed into this word. But there's a, every analogy falls short. When you're trying to explain what God has done for his people, every analogy falls short. You, you, you have to beware of pressing analogies too far. Because if you take them too far, they, they unravel. Now, what I gave you um, there, <laughs> is that impressive or what? Um, that, those are similarities. Those are things that you, you can derive from this glorious mention of a new family that we're, that we're a part of. But um, there is something that you can't derive. And that is, in the human institution... Uh, that, that was customary in Rome. Merit counted. That is, when the wealthy landowner went to go find, find himself an heir, he would consider things like beauty. He would consider things like intelligence or, um, um, you know, um, size of biceps or ability or whatever. And he would, he would find certain, um, uh, character qualities in, the, in all of the, the ones that he could choose from that he liked. And as a result of those existing character qualities, he would then make his choice. That, ladies and gentlemen, is, is a parallel that cannot be drawn. Because in divine adoption, God doesn't recognize qualities. He produces them. The qualities that he desires are not things that he that he recognizes as pre-existent. It's those qualities that he produces. The ones that he longs to see are the things that he produces. Now, that requires, ladies and gentlemen, a molecular change at the center of our being. A, a, a spiritual change of utter molecular quality. Um, and that is known as not adoption, but regeneration. The thing that he does. Now what? Oh, I got to write the. You have to hit the button every time. <laughs> it's over. It's over. <laughs> Which one? Clear the screen. I got gotcha. you. All right. Regeneration. <laughs> now, guys, again, um, the, the point is, he doesn't recognize character qualities. He produces them. How does he do that? He does that not in something called adoption. He does that in something called regeneration. That is, a, a, um, guys, uh, a, adoption confers on us the name of sons and the title to an inheritance. Regeneration confers the nature of sons and the suitability for the inheritance. This term regeneration is not some nice figurative symbol. It is a real, lasting, spiritual work of grace, a permanent change. What the scripture says is, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Um, this is not some kind of uh, nice spiritual metaphor. It is a reality that takes place in the hearts of those he adopts. But those he adopts or adoption is tied inextricably 
to regeneration. In, 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 in adoption, ladies and gentlemen, he confers on you a name and a, and a title to an inheritance. But in regeneration, he confers on you a nature. He changes. In fact, one of my favorite, um, Ezekiel 36, he talks about, I will remove their heart of flesh. I will remove their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. That's referring to this. The qualities that he's after, he produces those. He doesn't recognize them. That's a key distinction, ladies and gentlemen, that, that um, in this whole idea of talking about adoption, we, we, we can't leap to the, um, the idea of a... Um, the image of a human adoption lets us down. Let me, let me show you one, other, one thing and we'll quit. Uh, we find both of those things crowded into one statement of, uh, in the Gospels in John chapter 1. See if you can find John 1 real quick. And with this, we'll stop. John chapter 1, let me read you verses 12 and 13. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. There's adoption. Who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. There's regeneration. That is... Because of the great work of regeneration, he has conferred upon us a new nature, producing the very qualities that delight him, and then pronounces and proclaims, those people belong to a new family. And as a, as a result of um, having a new family, <laughs> these things I can count on. A permanent relationship, even when, it's, when it seems to be threatened, a sense of honor and duty, a legal transaction that, that, has, confer, that has transferred all of my debt to him and all of the liability of my life is now on him. That's what's packed up um, in this word adoption. I leave you with this, my brother and sister in Christ. Who's your daddy? close. Our Father, uh, we do pray that as we sense that our daddy is, is quite a daddy and has performed quite a work and has gone to great extremes and has voluntarily um, brought us to himself under no obligation to do so and by a, a legal act has transferred into us into a, his family a permanent relationship. Oh, God, might all those things stir up in us a, a sense of safety, a sense of security, and then a heightened sense of duty. Might the heightened sense of honor that is now conferred upon sinners such as I manifest itself in a heightened sense of duty. We get to obey a God of infinite goodness, 
a God who has gone to great extremes to redeem folk like myself. So, Father, dismiss us with a sense of belonging. Might your people be able to taste and drink the sweetness of belonging, knowing that their belonging is a permanent belonging, that even though there are missteps on our part, great offenses, even though there is a a time where the distance seems greater, even though there's a variation in in our health spiritually, and even though we go, perhaps even at this moment, going through times of divine chastening, that none of that changes our status. None of that changes the fact that you are our Father in heaven. We pray, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks and good night.